This is the Frontier of Finance, the podcast that covers the hottest new funds and important milestones of marquee funds in Canada. On the Frontier, we go directly to the source, interviewing portfolio managers, executives, and sales leaders at the top asset management firms. Stay on top of the latest innovations, react to market trends, and make better investment decisions for your clients. I'm your host, James Rockwood, and I'm welcoming you to the Frontier of Finance. To close off our first season of the Frontier of Finance, I'm excited to bring on our second speaker in an area of investing that has experienced tremendous growth. As we head into the new year, your clients may be thinking about setting goals for 2022. This may include getting more involved with a cause or living more sustainably. In fact, a study in the UK showed that one in six people made a New Year's resolution to reduce their impact on the planet in 2021. The movement around sustainability and net zero continues to make headlines and is being reflected in the growing demand for sustainable investments. To help us explore ESG investing, I'm joined by Fate Sahir, Senior Vice President and Head of Sustainability at McKenzie Investments. Fate has over 14 years experience in financial services building new sustainable business models. She is also the Chair of the Sustainability Steering Committee and the Head of McKenzie's Sustainability Center of Excellence. Since everyone's financial situation is different, I'd like to remind you that the thoughts or insights discussed on today's show are not to be construed as professional advice, and we encourage you to reach out to your certified financial advisor to discuss your own plan. That being said, let's get started. Fate, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for joining us. Hello, James. Uh, It's my pleasure to be here. I'd like to dive right in. McKenzie's home to a growing shelf of sustainable products. With your first fund launching in 2017 and now offering over 10 different funds, why has McKenzie been focused on ESG in recent years and why offer more than one ESG product? You know, number one, I think in asset management and investment management more broadly, there's a heightened awareness of the risks and opportunities that are associated with non financial data. Climate risk specifically is, is very much top of mind to, uh, to portfolio managers. And I'll give you an example. Um, climate risk is, is viewed as physical risks and transition risks. So when you look at physical risks, and a good example is lots of the volatile weather conditions that BC has been experiencing pretty much the better part of 2021, more recently, some, uh, some of the flooding. So these are all physical risks that result in financial damage, right? And they displace a lot of uh, people and citizens. And so the number of climate-related disasters has more than tripled in the last 30 years. And there was a study done specifically between 2006 and 2016, the rate of global sea level rise was two and a half times faster than it was for almost the whole of the, the 20th century. And annually now, more than 20 million people are, are displaced due to climate change. On the transition risk side, these result from the economy transitioning from one that is reliant on fossil fuels to a low carbon economy. And so these shifts focus on things like you know, changes in consumer investor preferences. So there is you know, a growing number of investors now that want to be investing sustainably. You know, consumers, when they're engaging with a brand, they're looking at what the sustainability of that brand and the purpose of the brand are. So these are all things that are important. And also, you know, another transition risk I always like to point to, and it's something that does actually impact the, the bottom line of companies, and it's important for 
portfolio managers to look at is the, the increasing carbon tax in Canada. So today, carbon tax has been set at $40 a tonne. It's going to continue to increase year over year to hit $170 by 2030. And so that added cost has to go somewhere. So I think, you know, asset managers are now able to put a price on ESG and on those non-financial factors. The second big focus, you know, why, why it's such, such a big focus for us is the increase uh, in investor demand. I touched on it a little bit through the transition risk, but it really is the globe is shifting to uh, sustainability. The uh, Responsible Investment Association just released their investor study The investor study was conducted a few months ago across Canadian investors, and they found that 77% of those that responded said that they want their financial services provider to inform them about responsible investments that are aligned with their values. And between 2019 and 2020, sustainable funds grew at a rate of 55%. Whereas the traditional mutual fund space only grew at about 11%. I mean, this industry has done magnificently in, in during the pandemic, but uh, sustainable solutions are definitely growing uh, much more so. And, you know, so those are kind of the market shifts we're seeing outside that are grabbing our attention. But as for us at McKenzie as well, over the last couple of years, we've redefined our purpose to be creating a more invested world together. And one of the more key attributes of that purpose is investing in a sustainable and responsible future. So, you know, we do things as you know, we've got a charitable giving foundation. Uh, we've got a big focus on diversity, equity and inclusion. And then obviously my role is uh, expanding how we invest sustainably across all 17 of our investment boutiques. Part of the question around having multiple different products, I think when people think about ESG, mostly they think about things that are environmentally and that are aligned with environmentally sustainable practices. And why is it important to expand the product shelves into the S and the G or the social and the governance components of ESG beyond just environment? You know, the, the E and the thematic movement behind this, you know, this is a macro trend, right? And so that we know there's a lot of capital going in that direction. And so investors have an opportunity to participate either from the growth in the capital. So you're actually participating in, in the returns that that's expected to generate, or you can help to actually guide the capital, right? So the environment and that the E is, is really has been a big focus. But there is, you know, and maybe I'll touch on the G before I go back to the S, On the G side, governance has always been uh, a foundational part of, you know, any fundamental portfolio manager or or asset manager. You know, like they've always looked at the credibility of the board, how the board's delivering on their plans, right? Management, you know, how credible they are. And so governance has always been foundational in asset management. I think the focus on the S has definitely been amplified over the last couple of years with COVID. I think people are starting to see that, you know, while, you know, we think about, hey, let's, let's live locally, right? Buy locally, we're global, right? And, and the actions that we take as Canadians impact people across the world. And so I think there's been a much more, you know, I, I think about what happened in, in the U.S. with the Black Lives Matter movement the impact that had on Canadians, right, Canadian investors, and it really right, caused us to take a pause and think about what systemic racism exists within our borders, right? So, you know, we like to think locally, we like to, you know, engage with local restaurants and, and, and so on. But, uh, um, but I think it's a, the, this importance and notion that we're much bigger than, than our own borders is, has really been amplified. 
But maybe if we look at sustainability beyond those kind of the ES and the G, we look at it on a spectrum. And so on, on one end of the spectrum, you have traditional funds that generally only consider financial factors in, in their evaluation process. But one step further to, to the right of that, you start to look at responsible investing, at which point now you're looking at what are the material factors that are non-financial in nature, but might have a financial impact on that company's performance and hence my, my mutual fund or ETF. And so, you know, those are things like the climate risks uh, examples I provided are excellent examples of that. Then you move one, one step further and now you start to move into sustainable funds. And these are funds that generally, like our green ship funds or our better world funds, where they have in the investment objective clear guidelines as to how they're, they're incorporating sustainability characteristics or sustainability factors to achieve a certain outcome. So what we're trying to do is we're trying to ensure that across the spectrum of sustainable funds that we have offerings for investors because we'd like to get to a place where we're able to construct portfolios that are fully sustainable in nature, right? And it's not just a sliver, right? So if you believe climate change is real, you likely want to make sure that all of your investments, right, are supporting that, uh, even if that may not be uh, thematic in nature, like our green ship fund. So I think it's important for investors to think about what their values are, what, how they're seeing the world evolve and, and how they want to support that, both from an opportunity perspective, but also uh, definitely from, from a return perspective. So a couple of interesting points in there. One I'd have a question around is, so the, the 17 different products isn't really necessarily just splicing and dicing ESG or different ways to tackle ESG. It's also trying to provide probably broader based exposure so that you're able to get ESG elements incorporate it into different types of funds? Or how did you come up with sort of 17? Because it's quite a broad category. Is it a mix of different ways of approaching ESG itself? Or is it the underlying asset class and the theme that the fund's going after? I should clarify that we have 17 investment boutiques or teams. We only have about 10 sustainable funds on our shelf today. Um, So I'll, I'll clarify that. So on the 10 funds that we offer into the market today, Some are what I would categorize as uh, sustainable core. So when you think about uh, a portfolio construction, you know, they might take a broader, they've got broad sector exposure, broad geographic exposure. They might have a number of exclusions uh, applied to them and and take a more of a best-in-class approach. So for investors looking for core allocations, I would always, you know, start, you always start with your sustainable core solutions. And those tend to be, they're not niche Right, they are they are broad in nature. Then, as you move into this thematic uh, sustainable thematic category, there now you have you know portfolios like our our green ship fund that is concentrated and very much focused on six environmental sectors that we believe are are growing. And so, you want investors to participate in the opportunities that are coming with that sector, but also both from a risk uh, return perspective, but also from an impact perspective. So. That's how when we're designing products, we are thinking about what are the portfolio construction needs of investors across the different risk return profiles um, and, and what solutions do we need to develop to help build more holistic solutions. Perfect. No, that makes, that makes perfect sense. And thanks for clarifying that the 10 versus 17 is good. One other question I had is, is you, you touched on socially responsible investing. 
Can you just describe the difference between that and, and ESG? Is one sort of the next the next level or the next level of commitment? Like, could you could you try to define the differences for the audience, please? So, socially responsible investing it's it's a term none of us are using anymore because I <laughs> I think you know twenty or thirty years ago when that came to be, it was really focused on very much about the values. It's less about performance. The term we're using today is responsible investing or sustainable investing, and those could be used interchangeably. But in terms of ESG, we really look at environmental, social, and governance. These are non-financial factors. So I think of them as building blocks, right, to develop sustainable solutions or responsible solutions. The other point that I think is really interesting is, obviously, there's the supply, and there's been a huge increase in supply of ESG products. That being said, not all advisors are offering these types of solutions to their clients yet. And so why do you think some advisors aren't bringing up ESG and are there any barriers that you've encountered or heard about or that you could speculate on that are preventing advisors from speaking to their clients about these types of investments? There are actually, and I, I've got some of the, we've done some proprietary research on the barriers, but to your point, James, so that 77% number that I gave earlier on investors that are interested in responsible investments only 27% of them said that their advisors have asked them if they were interested in responsible or sustainable investments. So that's a big gap, right? You're talking 50% there, right? Where you have investors with unmet needs. So some of the barriers we hear about are still, uh, we still hear about performance. So I think there's a hesitancy in advisors offering these solutions because they might feel that I'm, you know, I'm not going to be able to meet the risk return profile that, uh, that my clients are asking for. And that perception while I, I don't agree with it, I think it's valid in how we used to manage sustainable solutions or socially responsible solutions in the past. In the past, these strategies were primarily exclusionary. So what they did is you would exclude a number of sectors. And so that meant for you know, a portfolio manager, they had less to work with, right? So they were not able to provide the broad-based exposures and react to the market as, as they would if they didn't have such constraints. So that generally you know, created some of the lacking performance. In today's you know, more modern sustainable solutions and funds that we see in the market, there really isn't much of a differentiation in terms of performance. Both traditional funds and, and sustainable funds perform around, along the same lines. And that's, that's going to take, that's a transformation for this industry, right? It's going to take a lot of education. It's going to take a lot of alignment uh, and a lot better data for, for us to get there. But, uh, but I think the first two, performance and greenwashing, are, are the two primary barriers. I want to talk a bit about you know, on the frontier, as, as we all know by now, we cover new products. We also cover marquee funds hitting key milestones. And this fall, the McKenzie Green Chip Environmental All Cap Fund has hit its three-year milestone or will hit its three-year milestone. And this is a major fund with over $1.8 billion in AUM. So congratulations to that. That's, that's amazing to see. Could you tell me about the strategy behind the fund and how it aligns with sustainable practices? Yes, most definitely. And we are very proud of the fund. And I think we have an incredible team that's managing that fund. So really happy. Uh, we also got our five-star uh, rating not too long ago. So we're really proud of that. 
But the, the, the fund and the premise of the fund was built, actually, the initial strategy launched under Greenship, uh, which is a company we acquired last year. The initial strategy launched in 2007. But it was built on the premise that this great energy transition is well underway, and it's going to create tailwinds behind the environmental sector's and so, you know, these, there's going to be all this growth in the environmental sectors. And, and the team felt that there was a number of companies that might be mispriced. And there was those mispriced securities would provide opportunities for investors. So what, what the Greenship strategy does is it's, it's a, a value a strategy and bottom-up process that's, that's really trying to capitalize on, on all of that. And so what the team does is we have six environmental sectors that we look at, clean energy, energy efficiency, clean technology, sustainable agriculture, water, and transportation. And so within those six uh, sectors, we've got 800 companies with a market cap of about $13 trillion dollars. And so the team goes through, you know, that process of looking at the 800 uh, companies, going through high-level valuations on the 800 companies, and then very quickly getting to 150 that the team really drills into and intimately uh, tracks. And so from there, they, we run a number of screens, uh, including a number of ESG uh, analysis and, and controversy screens before getting to a portfolio that's about 35 to 50 uh, securities in the end. But what the fund does and where we focus is, I mean, for one, it's performed really well because, you know, the team's uh, value uh, orientation has, has really helped to support and provides a nice optionality to a lot of the other funds that you see in this space that are much more growth oriented. But it also is really because of the way we look at these six environmental sectors, for clients that want to make sure that they're allocating capital to the energy transition and to the, you know, a sustainable future, you can really get at that. So we track how we align to the sustainable development goals and we're up there close to like 90% strong contribution. So it's done really, performed really well. So it's got, it has a lot of advisors, you know, looking at it, coming to see because of the performance, but uh, the impact story is, is quite, uh, quite strong as well. That's amazing. And I think that that's, something when you have both the impact and the performance, such an easy discussion with a client. And then how would you use the McKenzie Greenship Environmental All Cap Fund in a portfolio? Is it going to be to supplement if I have a sleeve of equity and I've got some global, I've got some US and some Canadian, like any sort of standard approach, how am I going to add it in there and, and where should I be trying to place it in, in ranking or uh, in conjunction with some of those other types, broad categories? So, you know, I'm not a financial advisor and you have to take your, each client is unique and, and has their own needs. And I'm sure you uncover that through your uh, KYCs. But generally within your, your global allocation, we think this is a satellite allocation of 5 to 10%. The all-cop fund is a medium uh, risk because of the sectors and also the geographies that we have access to, right? So again, not a, it's not a heavy U.S. So if you're looking for something that's to tilt away from, from the U.S. or non-U.S. focused exposure, that this is the, the fund for you. But I'd say within your global allocation, 5 to 10%, depending on the client's risk return profile. No, that makes perfect sense. And I think that's really helpful. Just as you're trying to think about it, you know, as it occurs as a satellite, I think that's really, really helpful. And then how does sustainable investing play a role in holistic wealth management for clients? So we're huge advocates of holistic wealth management, 
speaking to the client about what's important to them. Yes, there are financial goals and there are, there's financial aspects, but what else is important and trying to dig into some of the deeper conversations so that clients really know that you understand them and that you are having a broader-based discussion. We're going to have to start to move to a place where we're not just talking about returns, right? And we are introducing that impact dimension. You know, it's we're seeing a, a massive shift globally, you know, from this notion of um, shareholder primacy, right? Shareholder capitalism to more of a stakeholder model. So I think, you know, consumers and investors are going to start asking more so about how their money is being utilized, how the companies that they're invested in are buying from or getting service from, you know, what what their sustainability characteristics are. So I think it, it has to become integrated into our KYC discussions and to, into, I mean, that's, I, I would assume for most advisors, I know my advisor asks me about what's important to me and what are my main values and, and goals. And and uh, for me, sustainability is, is definitely one of them. So I, I think that uh, that needs to be part of the conversation. But James, I, I think we've got a, we have a lot of work to do in the industry to, to get us there, right? I mean, for one, we have to revamp our KYC uh, structure, right, and introduce some of those impact characteristics. And I think once the, the regulators are doing quite a bit of work right now to help set the stage for us in terms of what reporting we will have to do as asset managers going forward on these sustainability funds. And so as that work happens, I think the wealth management space will, will also move along with us. Yeah, it's a really good point. I mean, I, I still come back to that 77% demand, 27% of people hearing from their advisor. So there's definitely a lot of work to be done to, to help people adapt and, and adopt ESG more broadly. On a light note and a light way to end this, I'm really curious what you think we can expect and look forward to in the sustainable investing space. Do you see a lot more products coming do you see a broader base? Do you see the higher adoption? I'd love to just get a future future looking statement from you as we wrap it up. Yeah, I mean, I, I do think we're going to continue to see a growth in assets relative to our traditional space. So, you know, this is and we're, we're seeing it, you know, month over month, quarter over quarter assets are, are now since 2019, uh, we closed the year out at about 12 billion in assets. And right now we're sitting well over 30 billion. So that's, you know, still small, right? Relative to the 4 trillion some dollars that are managed in, in Canada. But nevertheless, it's it's definitely growing in a space that should get uh, advisors' attention. I think we're going to see more transparency, better reporting. Much of that will be mandated by regulators. So that'll make it easier for clients and for advisors to explain exactly what they're getting beyond performance. I think we're going to see more action. So, you know, last this past year, we saw so many commitments on, you know, net zero, you know, companies uh, claiming to, to want to get on their climate change uh, journey or climate action journey. I think now we're going to start to see how those are being translated. I hope that that all means that it's, you know, more money coming to the impact side and, and investors don't feel that just because I'm investing sustainably, I have to give up profit, right? It should be about, you know, it's long-term oriented for sure. So you're not, you're not stock pickers, right? Uh, trading, but this is about the long-term. It's about making sure we have, as we're building for a sustainable future. And so I hope those things translate into more impact, more money going to the right places. That's amazing. Well, Fate, thank you so much for joining us today. We really appreciate it. I think this is a really exciting time in 
wealth and asset management as people are looking to adopt this. I think the industry is primed and ready to have these more holistic conversations where things like ESG, I think the awareness on the investor side is there. I think advisors are catching up to it as well. And I'm really excited to see what the future of ESG is going to look like in the next five years. Thank you, James. It was wonderful to speak with you. The stigma around performance of ESG funds is something that turns a lot of advisors off putting client money into these products. Impact and performance do not have to be mutually exclusive, and leaders like Fate and her team at McKenzie are doing their part to help demonstrate this. As ESG scoring becomes more standardized, we're seeing an increased narrative around the financial merits of ESG investing. This will help bridge the gap between the 77% of clients who want to hear about ESG and the 27% who actually hear about it from their advisor. One way to engage your clients about ESG is by presenting them with the facts around how those funds are making an impact. Take the IG Climate Action Portfolios. These four climate action portfolios were launched back in October 2021 and are providing clients with a new way to support the transition to net zero emissions. What makes these funds special is that IG will be purchasing offsets for any carbon in the portfolios. Presenting this kind of information to your client helps make the impacts more tangible so they'll feel good about what they're putting their money into. Once again, I'd like to extend a big thank you to Fate for joining us on the show and helping us close out a great first season. I'd also like to thank all of the guests who have joined us. We've been graced by an incredible group of experts who have helped us cover investment topics like healthcare, tech, retirement planning, ESG, and more. And we look forward to bringing new voices on the show in the new year. And finally, whether you've stuck with us from the start or are a new listener tuning in, I'd like to thank you for stepping out onto the frontier with me. If you're interested in what we're doing at Capintel, check out this episode's description or visit us at www.capintel.com. We'll see you in early 2022 for the next season of the Frontier of Finance. Thank you.